Leviticus chapter 14 and 15. ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water and they will be clean. On the eighth day they must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb a year old, each without defect along with three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. 
Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with a log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall then take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his own left hand, dip his right forefinger into the oil in his palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining on his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanliness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it to the, on the altar, together with the grain offering, and make atonement for them, and they will be clean. But if he is poor and his means are insufficient, then he is to take one male lamb for a guilt offering, as a wave offering, to make atonement for him, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mi <coughs> mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil, and two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, which are within his means. The one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. Then the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest at the priest at the doorway of the tenth tent of meeting before Yahweh. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest <coughs> shall wave them as a wave of offering before Yahweh. Next, he shall slaughter the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on, and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall, shall also pour some of the oil into his left palm, and with his right hand finger the priest shall sprinkle some of the oil that is in his left palm seven times before Yahweh. Wait a second. It's okay. Uh, the priest shall then put some of the oil that is in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot and on the place on the place of the blood of the guilt offering. Moreover, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm, he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed, to make atonement on his behalf before Yahweh. He shall then offer one of the turtle doves of young pigeons, which are within his means. He shall offer what he can afford, 
the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, together with the grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement before Yahweh on behalf of the one to be cleansed. This is the law for him in whom there is an infection of leprosy, whose means are limited for his cleansing. Verse 33. Yahweh further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I am giving you for a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy on the house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, Something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. The priest shall then command that they empty the house before the priest go in to look at the mark, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to look at the house. So he shall look at the mark, and if the mark on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depression and appears deeper than the surface of the wall, then the priest shall come out of the house to the doorway and put the house under isolation for seven days. Then the priest and the priest shall return on the seventh day and look again. If the mark has indeed spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command them to tear out the stones with a marking them and throw them away at an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the house scraped all around inside, and mm -hmm. they shall pour out the plaster at that they scrape up at, at an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and replace those stones, and he shall take out the other plaster and replace the house. If, however, the mud break out again in the house after he had torn out the stone and scraped the house, and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and look again. He see, if he sees that the mark has indeed spread in the house, is it the leprous malignancy in the house? It is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, the stones and the timbers and all the plasters of the house. And he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Mm -hmm. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has put it under isolation becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. If, on the other hand, the priest comes in and looks again, and the monk has not indeed spread in the house after the house has been replastered. Then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the mark has not reappeared. To cleanse the house then, he shall take two birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop, and he shall slaughter the one bird in the earthenware vessel over running water. Then he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and a scarlet string with the live bird, and he shall dip them in the blood of the slaughtered bird as well as in the running water. And he shall sprinkle the house seven times. He shall thus cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water, along with the live bird and with the cedar wood and with the hyssop and with the scarlet thread. However, he shall let the live bird go free outside the city into the open field, so he shall make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. This is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for scale and for the leprous garment or house, and for swelling, and for scab, and for white spot, 
to instruct when they are unclean, when they are clean, and when they are clean. This is the law of telepathy. Leviticus 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When any man hath a running issue out of his flesh, because of his issue he is unclean, and this shall be his uncleanness in his issue, whether his flesh run with his issue, or his flesh be stopped from his issue, it is his uncleanness. Every bed whereon he lieth that hath the issue is unclean, and everything whereon he sitteth shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth his bed shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the eve. And he that sitteth on anything whereon he sat, that hath the issue, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And he that toucheth the flesh of him that hath the issue shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And if he that hath the issue spit upon him that is clean, and he shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And what saddle sore he rideth upon that hath the issue shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And he that beareth any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whosoever he toucheth that hath the issue and hath not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And the vessel of earth that he toucheth which hath the issue shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he that hath an issue is clean, cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two and two trillions, or two young pigeons, and come before the Lord unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and give them unto the priest. And the priest shall offer them the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord for his issue. And if any man see the population go out from him, then he shall wash all his flesh and water, and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin whereon is the seed of population shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. The woman also, the man, shall lie with seed of population. They shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Verse 29. 19. 19. You finished 19, right? Uh, 18. You finished. Okay, sorry. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean. Anything she lies on during this her period will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water. And he will be. Unclean until evening. Whoever touches. Anything she sits on must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. Whether it is the bed or anything else she is sitting on, when anyone touches it, he will be unclean until evening. The man lies with her as her monthly 
Well, it touches him, he will be unclean for seven days, and in any bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, at a time other than her monthly period, where she has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she is as a discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues to be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. Anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she must be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent The priest is to sacrifice one for the sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for the herd before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. He must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is a woman. These are the regulations for a man with a discharge, or for anyone made unclean by a remission of semen, for a woman with a monthly period, or a man or woman with a discharge, and for a man who lies with a woman who is ceremonial, ceremonial unclean. Great, thanks. All right, so by way of review, this is a great, uh, really good outline that we've been kind of using in our study of Leviticus, and it's basically arranged in a, a chiastic pattern where the outer chapters thematically correspond with each other. Um, so, so 1 through 7, 23 through 25 kind of correspond, and then the, set, the inner outer chapters, 8 through 10, 21 22 correspond, them through 15, the thematically they correspond, and the, the center is the middle, is the main point is emphasizing. So chapter 16 in the Day of the Atonement, which we'll look at Friday, is the key part of the chapter. It's the most important part of the chapter that Moses wants us to focus on when we look at Leviticus. We already looked at uh, 1 through 7. The five sacrifices, the, the burnt offering, grain offering, fellowship offering, sin offering, uh, and the guilt offering, uh, the offerings for the priest. We look at the ordination of Aaron and his sons, the high priest ordination. And then chapter 9 is um, their, their inaugural, inaugural service. And um, you know, the end of chapter 9, when Moses and Aaron uh, enter into the tent of meeting, God's glory fills, uh, his presence fills the tabernacle. Uh, that's, a, that's a key juncture of the book, right? And it's meant to remind you of the end of Exodus, when Moses, when Moses could not enter into the tent of meeting. Remember, he was prevented from going into it. And so uh, there's a big change. And and, and, and the reason why we know Moses and, and Aaron can enter now in, into the presence of God is because you have a sacrifice and you have a priest, right? Uh, obedience wasn't good enough in Exodus because Moses' inability to, uh, to enter into the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, it follows what? He's repeat uh, chapter after chapter where the Israelites did as they told, they did as they told, they did as they told. Moses can't enter in. So it's kind of a surprise. 
turn. So things change. You think, well, now, now the end has come. Uh, we can end the story. But you know what? Nadab and Abihu, they offer strange fire. In chapter 10, they die. And God says, you know what? It's not good enough to offer a sacrifice. It's not good enough that you have a priest to enter into God's presence. You need to be clean. You need to be clean. There's, you need to be holy. The way into the presence of holiness is a holy way. Uh, and so, from 11 through 15, we looked at, you know, this is how God uh, wants us to be holy. In every part of our lives, he wants us in the what we eat, what we touch, the children, uh, the, the, the giving children, our, our public health, our private health, uh, our entire lives need uh, to, be, to be holy. And so, um, um, this, this in, in chapter 11 through 15, there's this language of clean and unclean. And um, uh, how, do, how do we understand that? How does this relate to the idea of holiness? And so, uh, what you have to uh, uh, kind of realize when you look at the, the, the tabernacle system of worship was there's these two realms of sacred and common, Right? A sacred and common. And within the realm of the common was clean or unclean. So it was kind of like a, it was like stages to enter into God's holiness. So if you were unclean, you couldn't enter into the, into the tabernacle, right? Uh, you had to become clean first. And then after you were clean, then you could enter into the, into the tabernacle and become holy. Right? So there's, there's stages. There's unclean, clean, and then holiness. You can't skip clean. You can't go from unclean to holy. If you're unclean and you go into holy, guess what? You die. You have to go unclean to clean and then to holy. Um, only clean things can become holy. Uh, unclean objects cannot be holy. Unclean, if you enter into the presence of holy, you die. Uh, clean things can become unclean if they're polluted. Holy items can be defiled and become common when uh, polluted. Uh, and, uh, and, but on the other side, sanctification, uh, entering near to God, uh, clean can become holy. Uh, the holy and the unclean, they can never come in contact with each other. And so therefore, uh, in order to, to cleanse, to sanctify, in order for unclean to become clean, uh, a sacrifice is required. Uh, a sac the, the, cl the clean, unclean categories, it's a symbol of sin. It's uh, disease is a, a symbol of, uh, of sin. Um, but a sacrifice can, can reverse this process. So when you think of clean and you think of unclean, think of purity or impurity, and you have to either be pure or clean to uh, enter into God's presence. Uh, if you're pure or you're clean, uh, you can become, you can be fit, you can enter into the God's presence, and you can be and you can be holy, which means that you belong to God. The normal normal status of Israel was clean, the priesthood was holy, and these holy priests facilitate, facilitated 
a relationship between Holy Yahweh and a clean Israel, right? And so through this relationship, the idea was that uh, gradually the nation would become holy uh, over time. That didn't happen, though. What else is related to unclean? Uh, at the heart of these unclean, clean laws that you see in 11 through 15 and later in the book of Leviticus, at the heart of these clean and unclean laws uh, is the concept of life and death. Life and death. The near, the near you come to, to Yahweh, right? You, you, would, you would enter this way from east to west. The near you came to Yahweh, uh, the the it, it, the near to life uh, you got to right uh, the farther if you went west the farther away you uh, went from you know when you went from here the farther west you went uh, the more closer you you went to death and chaos uh, what does this represent Garden of Eden Mount Sinai right. So the clearer, you, the nearer you come to God, the more life you have. Uh, this is a Garden of Eden. This is God's presence. Uh, the closer you get, uh, the more life you have. And so you have this idea, this these directional ideas that that's, that you see in Genesis. That the further east you go, that rep, that's bad. You go east. That's where death is. That's where chaos is. And if you, and I'll, and I'll show you some examples. Uh, obviously, uh, after the fall, uh, end of chapter 3, Genesis 3, it says, God drove the man out. And at the east of the garden, there was the cherubim guarding the way, right? So Adam and Eve, they go east. And then, uh, look what happens. The Tower of Babel, 11, uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and the same words. And it happened as they journeyed east, they came together and they built this tower, right? The farther east you become, the farther away you go away from God and the closer you go to death. Uh, remember uh, a, a, a Lot and Abraham, they fought over, fought over the land. Uh, which direction did Lot go? He went eastward, right? Uh, so there's this idea, this theological idea that's wrapped up with the direction, the farther the east you go, the, the farther away from God you go, and the Garden of Eden you go, and the closer to death. So this represents that. This represents that. Um, uh, so the holier you be, that you were, the nearest, the nearer to Yahweh you became, God is perfect life. He's perfect holiness. He can only be approached by clean men and women. Uh, the unclean, uh, those who had, the, there was in some way, they manifested this death. And uh, what happened? Uh, the more serious the situation, uh, the more east, eastward you would go. Um, for example, and so so when you look when you look at these clean and unclean laws, think of uh, think of life and death. Anything that was less than this physical wholeness, uh, it, it represented, it symbolized your uncleanliness, uh, unholiness, sinfulness. It was a symbol of that. It wasn't that actually. It symbolized that. And so uh, many of the unclean animals, 
they were associated with death in some way. So uh, predators, scavengers, they were associated with death. Pigs were associated with underworld deities and pagan worship. Uh, skin diseases, that kind of symbolically uh, brought you into the realm of death. Uh, when Miriam became leprous, Aaron, pray, Aaron prays in Numbers 12, 12, please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. If you, if you, if you got some skinted condition, uh, basically you, you perform this, this death ceremony. You would, you would go, you would, you would, you would rip your clothes. You would dishevel your hair. You would be ex uh, exiled from the camp. You would experience a living death. <laughs> Uh, discharges of the body, uh, blood or semen, along with the, the childbirth, that, 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 that corresponded to the, the loss of life. You lose fluids, you lose blood, you were less whole, uh, less life. It symbolized you were going away from God. And so any type of uncleanliness ritually symbolized death. And the way... The way you became near to life uh, required an atonement. If you wanted life, somebody needed to die in your place. And so uh, atonement uh, brought you from uh, death to life. And so before we start in, in the, looking at the, the, the law of leprosy, we have to, we have to kind of uh, go forward to the time of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 1, you see this leper... He comes to Jesus, Mark 140, and he pleads with him, and he falls on, uh, falls on his knees, and he says, if you're, you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, and I, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warmed him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that, say, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But, verse 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in desolate areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. To really understand this, what's going on between the leper and Jesus you have to, we have to dive into chapter 14 and, and we look at the law of cleansing a leper and cleansing a leprous house. Uh, chapter 14 divides into two major halves. Uh, the first one deals with the ritual cleansing of the, of the man who has some sort of skin disease. And the second has to do with, uh, quote-unquote, uh, skin disease of the house. Uh, 1 through 32, you look at uh, skin infections that dealt with, uh, with, with people. Uh, chapter 13 was uh, the procedures for how a priest would regard what he would do when he would see a, a, some kind of skin to, skin to condition. Uh, Le Leviticus 14 deals with what happens when uh, the skin condition goes away and they're healed. Uh, Leviticus, the first half of Leviticus 14 uh, deals with that. Chapter 14 uh, contains the most extensive kind of purification instructions. Now, what, what's important to, uh, to observe here, uh, compare 
uh, what we just read in chapter 14 with what Jesus does. What's the big difference? What's the big difference between what the priest does in chapter 14 and what Jesus does, in, which Jesus did in Mark 1? What was the big difference? Jesus just touched the man. There was no, like, ritual. Okay, okay. Okay, you're really close. And what did touching the man do? It made him. Well, it healed him. It healed him. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the priest, there's no, there's no, the, the priest doesn't cure anybody. Yeah. Uh, Jesus cures the person. And so the priest, he wasn't like a doctor. He was more like a public health inspector. He determined who was in, uh, in an infected. But if you notice in chapter 13 or 14, the priest makes no attempt to cure the man. There's no attempt. And this was very different from Israel's pagan neighbors who would use exorcism, magical rites, trying to cure the disease. Here it's very different. If you want it to be cured, I mean, you just pray. You just pray. Uh, you relied on prayer, uh, not uh, dubious remedies of folk medicine or pagan medicine. And so with one, one through nine, uh, we, we look at uh, the, this is how the unclean comes back into the congregation of Israel. This is how they come back into the camp. And look at verse 3. Um, the priest has to go outside the camp. Why does the priest have to go outside of the camp? And so the, remember, the camp, is where, the camp is where the Israelites live. They live all around this. Uh, the leper is outside of the camp. And so why, why does the priest have to go outside the camp? Because that's where the leper is, that he's been kicked out there uh, before he uh, is let back in. Uh, uh, the, the, the priest needs to see if uh, the leper has been healed, right? So there's the primary religious symbolic significance of these unclean clean laws. But there is a secondary purpose, and that's public health, right? So there's a secondary purpose of public health. But the primary purpose is theological and symbolical. Uh, uh, it deals with sim symbolism. Verse 4, you have the cedar wood string and hyssop. What do you think that's used for? What would you use that for? That would be used for 5 through 7. Where there, was, you have, there was two birds required. Uh, one bird would be killed. The blood would go into a bowl. Under running water, some of your translations say uh, fresh water. Uh, the idea is some running, uh, a spring of some sort. And uh, so you, their blood would be in the bowl. You would use the cedar wood, the string, and the hyssop. You would dip that, that into the blood, in the blood. And you would sprinkle, verse 7, the man who was to be cleansed, be cleansed seven times. You have a dead bird, the blood's in the bowl, the hyssop being sprinkled. And then there was a, a live bird set free to symbolically carry away the evil of the disease. Verses 8 and 9, there's cleansing, there's shaving. What do you think that kind of symbolized? Your birth? Um, yes, that's partly, yeah. New birth, yes. Uh, yes. Purity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was also, I think, secondarily a health precaution, uh, but primarily it represented 
of a restoration, he was now restored to the people of God. He was outside the camp. Now he comes inside the camp. And look, look at look at the look at the geography here. Look at verse three. Uh, the priest has to go outside of the camp, right? Um, and then look what, where he is in verse eight. He's outside his tent, right? The the man is out. He's in the camp. He's outside his own tent, right? And then look at verse eleven. He's at the doorway of the tent of meeting, right? He's returning from death. He's, he's, he's going from east to west, and he's coming closer to life. Now, how do we know, how do we know for sure that this, uh, 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 this, uh, this process in, in verse 8 and 9 and verse 10 as well, how do we know it symbolizes his restoration to the covenant people? And the, and, the, and the answer is at the beginning of verse 10. Now, on the eighth day, right? On the eighth day, he now has to, the, the leper has to has a sacrifice. And on the eighth day, uh, he's at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And it symbolized, yeah, new birth, uh, uh, purity. But it, it, it also, uh, essentially, most of all, it represented he's restored to the covenant people of God. How, we, how Why does the eighth day uh, give us a clue that that's the reason why? What else happened on the eighth day? Yeah, new beginning, good. But what else happened on the eighth day? And what was that a symbol of? Covenant. You were part of the covenant people yeah, of God. Covenant people right? God. The baby now is officially part of the covenant of people of God. And here... The leper, who was outside the camp, now on the eighth day, he has a sacrifice to atone symbolically for his uncleanliness, an atonement where he goes from death to life. Well, how, do, how do we know he's going from death to life? Because remember, the, 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 the farther east you go is death, and now he's, he's right here. He's right, he's, right, he's right next to life. Right. So you have this picture of a death to life. Um, verses eleven through thirteen, you have a well. When when they say I, yes, sorry, I don't want to stop. Go ahead, you, but real quick, it, at the doorway of the tent of meeting, he's all the way inside or outside? The doorway of the tent of meeting, he's um, meeting. he's probably here. Oh, okay, right here. But so this is the tent, oh, or that's the tabernacle. No, he's probably he's, he's here. probably here. He's right here. Okay. So he's like he's like from he's death really, to like really close. I mean, he's yeah, really close. He's really, he's really close. close. Okay. He's right outside the tent of me. Good, good. I'm glad I had that up there. Um, <laughs> and so uh, from verses ten through twenty, uh, I'm going to make this kind of quick. Uh, you have four of the five offerings. There, so this is a really elaborate process, right? You have the uh, a grain offering, you have a sin offering, you have a, a guilt offering, you have um, a, a burnt offering, right? What's the only offering missing? Peace. The fellowship offering, the peace offering. So four of the uh, offerings are there. Um, 
what's the deal with the, the blood on the right ear, the right hand, the right toe? I think it just represents the entire body. So in the same way, the, the blood that was, the, the same blood that was sprinkled on the altar, uh, symbolized uh, that he was once again under the grace of God. So the oil that he, that he, he pours on in verse 17 and 18 shows there's, there's, there's union with God now. There's, uh, there's reconciliation. Uh, so we, he, uh, in verses 18 and 19 and 20, you see this, this, this one verb, make atonement, verse 8, 19, make atonement, verse 20, make atonement. Uh, this is a symbol, again, of from death to life, from death to life. The guilt offering, uh, why the guilt offering? Why did he have to uh, provide a guilt offering when it wasn't his fault that, that he got this leprosy. Uh, some people believe, because the guilt offering had to deal with reparations. Like, your sin caused damages, and so you have to pay reparations for those damages. And so, some scholars believe that the guilt offering was a way to symbol symbolically show that he he owed God something, right? Because while he was outside the camp, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't make an offering, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, th this was kind of the reparation paid for the loss of service that was incurred while this uh, leprous man was outside the camp. Again, leper, uh, le when, when, the when, when the word has leper or leprosy, it's not, it's not Hansen's disease. It could be, it might have included that, but it includes every kind of skin disease possible. And we know that for sure because when it talks, it uses the same word for a leprous house. And so we know that. A house can't have Hansen's disease, right? Uh, so it's some kind of skin uh, bacterial, sometimes a skin infection, skin disease. It, it included all types of uh, skin diseases. Now we go from uh, 21 to 32. Um, everything's ex everything's the same. This is this is if you're poor. A poor person uh, was a leper, and so there were accommodations in light of his economic situation. Everything's the uh, uh, there's a uh, everything is is different except for one thing in terms of the offering. So verses twenty one and twenty two, uh, uh, for the most part, every okay. So you have a log of oil that's the same. Instead of um, so you have a. Uh, so the original, let's go, let's go to the original prescription. Go to the original description of verse 10. Go to verse 10. So the original one for just a, a person in a regular financial, he's, he's financially well off, he's, he's doing okay. He, he needed, verse 10, two male lambs without a blemish, uh, a yearly ooh lamb, that means a, a female lamb, a year or two old without blemish. So there's, uh, so you have uh, three lambs, right? Three-tenths of an ephah, so the idea is one-tenth per lamb. Uh, uh, you have one log of oil. That's just kind of, I think that's a meter of oil or something. Um, so, uh, so, so you had the one of the male lambs is for the guilt offering, verse 12. And then you have... Let's see where's the uh, where's the other one? Um, the male lamb with this, the guilt offering. 
And so then you have the sin offering and the burnt offering. You, you, you those, those, two, those. Uh, one of the lamb is for the sin offering, and one of the lambs is for the uh, burnt offering, right? Oh, uh, what, what, what do, you, what, what do you see the difference here? So in verse twenty-two, uh, normally it would be one lamb for the sin offering. And one lamb for the burnt offering, right? Uh, but instead, you, you can use uh, uh, either a, a, a bird, a, one turtle dove or one pigeon for the sin offering, one turtle dove or pigeon for the burnt offering. But for the guilt offering, you, it's still the same. You still need a lamb. So the guilt offering is, uh, is the most important. And that doesn't change, even if you're poor. Uh, 33 to 53... Uh, deals with uh, mildew and houses, and it's kind of it, you, you see kind of a resemblance uh, of the house uh, with the uh, with the human being, right? Because it says in verse uh, uh, verse uh, forty and forty one, you tear up the stones. And then, verse 41, you have the house scraped all around inside. The plaster is scraped off. It's just like the shaving of the human being, right? But it's on a house. And so, there's a symbol of purity, symbol of uh, uh, a cleanliness, but also there was a, a obviously a, a, health, a health reason for it as well. Now, what's different about... The, the law for cleansing a leper, leprous house. What what don't you uh, what don't you see here? So you have to demolish the house. Uh, yeah, you see. So uh, the first part of it is you kind of do a part demolition. You take some of the stones that are infected. You replace it with good stones. You replaster it. If the disease doesn't come back, you're good to go. If you take you take out the bad stones. You replace it with the good stones, you plaster it again. If the disease comes back, you have to d destroy the entire house. Look, verse 45, he shall therefore tear down the house, take him outside, keep an unclean uh, a, a place. Uh, verse 48, if he comes in and it hasn't spread. Uh, verse 49, you see the two birds. Okay, one bird uh, dies, one bird goes away. Uh, a sprinkling of it uh, seven times. But what don't you see here? In the cleansing of the house that you saw in the cleansing of a person. There's no sacrifices. No sacrifices. No guilt offering, no sin offering, no burnt offering. It's not there in the house. Why? Because buildings don't need to draw near to God. They don't need to come in communion with God. And so the simple cleanliness, uncleanliness categories suffice. Um, you have a uh, you know, and so verses 54 to 57 um, is a summary of the, the, the laws and the regulations for the, clean, the, the cleansing of a leper. And uh, see, when a leper uh, was uh, deemed a leprous, when he was kicked out of the tent of meeting, when he was kicked out of the camp, it, was, it symbolized what? He, he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Symbolize what? A leper symbolized what? The fall, right? The fall of man. He, he's kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He goes east. 
right? And uh, it's just a picture of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And uh, can you imagine what, what, what a leper would have felt, right? You, you're declared unclean. You say, bye, honey. Bye, Tina. Say bye to the kids. A grandma uh, and, and grandpa, you're, you, you live with the other lepers, uh, you would feel what? You would feel forsaken by God. You would get up with no reason to get up, nothing to do, nobody's willing to, nothing, nowhere to work, and then, beyond your wildest dreams, you're healed. The disease is cured. Just imagine the joy of coming back to your family. Imagine the joy of being able to worship God with God's people again, right? Renewed, restored. It would feel like what? You were dead, and now you're alive. For those who have leprosy, right, is by God's grace that they heal, not by sickness. Well, yes, yes, by, by prayer they may have been healed, but do you think that happened very often? I don't think so. It happened very rarely. And then Jesus comes. And the leper says, can you heal me? Jesus touches him. He's fully restored. He can go back to the... To the and then Jesus says, go to the priest. Go to the priest. Make this offering. Right? Uh, bring two birds. Uh, bring uh, three lambs. If you're poor, one lamb and two birds. So four birds total. Can you imagine the priest? What is this? I mean, I, I'm sure the priest hardly ever took that kind of cleansing or offering. He never performed that ritual. So what was Jesus declaring to the leadership of Israel when he healed the leper? And when he sent the leper to the priest? What was he declaring? He's He's bringing back garden. He's, he's bringing back people who were forsaken back to new creation, right? From death to life, right? This Leviticus 14 points to Christ fulfilling, the fulfillment of Christ cleaning this leper, right? It's, it's, it's pointing to when Jesus will bring back those he's chosen who've been separated from him. And so the leper represents any sinner, any sinner in the most extreme kind of way. And Jesus was saying, new creation is here. I'm bringing it. And he was saying, there's, there's joy now. You can have real joy uh, because I, he's I here. Thinking, like, yeah. Okay, back, back in the old days. Yes. If like you said, it was the, uh, some, those people have a ripple. Yeah, yeah, skin and condition, they, right? They are hardly be healed. Only like maybe very small. Very like, small, right? By God's grace, they're right. not like a physician. They can heal them. Yes. And then in his testimony, yes, Jesus just touching a person. Yes. That is evil done. Yes. Then will the Pharisees say, "Wow, this person have how can this person have power?" Right. 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 I mean, yeah, that, that would have been their reaction, but in their hardness of heart, they rejected Christ. That, that would have been the logical response, right? If you were a Pharisee, you would, be, you would probably study Leviticus 14, and you would ask yourself, how come this never happens? 
what is the point of this? And then Jesus comes, and they go, oh, okay. That's, Leviticus 14 is, is really pointing to Christ, right? So, so, so necessarily, it must happen very rarely. I mean, if at all. Yeah. If at all. Because you have all these rules. So when the lever is this, you have to do all of that. But it rarely happens. It's it, like, it, what's the point? Very rarely. Because think about it. This is a, a serious skin condition, right? Yeah. Because the, the priest gives you time. Mm -hmm. Seven days, seven days, seven days. Mm -hmm. So this is a serious, this is not a minor skin blemish that goes away. This is a serious skin, skin condition that doesn't go away. That's basically permanent. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I think God answered prayer. But uh, you, you see a few times the lepers get cleansed, right? A Naaman gets cleansed, right? So God answers prayer. Pro pro prophets might have killed people. But it was a very rare thing for Levit Levit Leviticus 14 to happen. Right? All right. So let's go real quick to uh, uh, ch chapter 15. It's... it's uh, let me just give the breakdown. It starts with men, the first half, bodily discharges, and then uh, 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 a bodily discharge from women in the second half. For men, uh, the first half is something abnormal. Uh, uh, verse 3, uh, it, there's uh, it, the body allows its discharge to flow, or his body obstructs his discharge. Something, that, something this is a gonorrhea. Um, it could refer to that. And then it moves to a regular discharge in verses 13, 14, and 15. Uh, this is uh, something to do, uh, just, uh, this is kind of a, a nocturnal emission. Uh, this is normal. What's different about discharges is that, um, when, let's say, let's say compare the discharge, the uncleanliness of the discharge with the uncleanliness of the animals. If I touched an unclean animal or I ate it, I alone was unclean. That's it. It stopped. Stopped. It stopped at me. So let's say I touched something unclean. I ate something unclean. I was unclean. Let's say Peter touched me. He would not be unclean. The discharge is different, right? Because it, look at verse four. If he, he sits on it, it becomes unclean. And then verse five: anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. So whatever you touch, it becomes this thing where it spreads this kind of pollution. Ceremonial primarily, but it, I think it has something to do with the infectiousness of a sexual transmitted disease. I think it has something to do with that. But uh, in terms of the ceremonial... Uh, uh, seriousness of it, it's not as serious as a skin condition or it's not as serious as a leper uh, because uh, if you look at um, there's no, let me see, there's no even in a, there's no sacrifices that you need to make except for the woman. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So um, verses 13 through 15. Oh, sorry. So if it's an abnormal discharge, you, uh, you simply have to bathe yourself. You don't see a sacrifice. So the ceremonial seriousness of it is not as bad as the skin condition. If you have a, a nocturnal emission, all, all, all you need is there's no lambs required. You, know, you, you take uh, two birds, the same offering as a, as a poor person. So... 
There's no lambs that need to be sacrificed for any kind of discharge. Uh, for the woman that starts in verse 19, um, she, there's blood or, a men, uh, or menstrual impurity. It starts a normal discharge. The order is different. And then there is an abnormal discharge, verse 25. It continues beyond uh, the, normal, the normal process. And for that, uh, for those types of discharges, you would, uh, you would offer, uh, in verse 29, two turtle doves, young pigeons, if it was abnormal. And then if it's a normal one, menstruation, uh, some sort of uh, thing like that, you would simply need to uh, walk, just, just, to, just to wash yourself, wash your clothes, and you were good. Uh, notice, um, uh, there, you're, look at verse 18. Uh, if a woman, if there's a woman and a man, if you lie together, uh, you're, you're unclean, right? You have to bathe and you're unclean until evening. So during that day, you cannot offer, you cannot make sacrifices to God. Or to any type of a regular a couple cohabitation, for the day you were cer ceremonially unclean. And, and, and what that did was, it separated you it separated Israel from their pagan neighbors where what? A, a sex was, was part of the worship, right? Mm -hmm. Sexual activity was part of the worship itself. Here, if there's any kind of sex on that day, you can't come into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And so it, it real, there was a real big difference mm -hmm. uh, with how the, how, how, how the Israelites worshiped God where no sex whatsoever part of it. Not that it's sinful, it's just he, he wanted to make a contrasting point with the pagan neighbors. And also, if you were an Israelite who wanted to marry outside of your nation, and you were dating a, 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 a Canaan paganite, you know what you would have to do? To, you have to convince her? You know what? We have some ceremonies when there's that normal period of the month. You have to undergo this and if there's cohabitation, we need to do this, right? There's all these rituals that the pagan woman would be like, uh, or the man would be like, uh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so it kept them, it, there was, it, it, it helped in keeping them sexually pure as well. So there was, one more thing, sexual purity attached to the worship, corporate worship, mm -hmm. and it helped with your individual sexual purity. Go ahead. And then for verse 18, were you saying that's husband and wife? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, husband and wife. Because, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you have... To, now, let's go to Mark 5. Let's finish up in Mark 5. Mark 5. And uh, I asked a question a few weeks ago that I didn't know the answer to, and now I, I do, really clearly. I said, I said, was, uh, you know, since ceremonial uncleanliness, it's not sinful. It's not a sin. So... You can be ceremonial and clean. That doesn't mean you've sinned in any way. It symbolized sin, but uh, it, it isn't sin. And I asked the question, Jesus is always interacting with Gentiles. He's, he's always coming in contact with Gentile food and touching and people touching him. I mean, the crowd's touching him all over. Uh, was, could Jesus be ceremonially unclean? Is it possible? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he's sin, but could he be ceremonially unclean? And so... In light of what we study today, let's look at let's look at the answer. Verse twenty-five. Uh, 
A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and endured much at the hands of many physicians, spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his garment. What is that? What, what do you do? When, when you touch somebody's garment, what happens? That person becomes ceremony unclean, right? Mm -hmm. She just did that to Jesus. And she's taking a chance. She's like, am I going to die if I touch him? So she touches him because she's so desperate. She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. She's been away from worship. She can never worship God for 12 years. Uh, she's outside of the community, but she has faith. And what happens? Verse 29 and 30. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she knew within her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Uh, and so the question is, was... Did, was Jesus ever ceremonial unclean? No. What happened when somebody ceremonial unclean touched him? That person gets <laughs> became clean. Yeah, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, when the unclean tried to enter into the holiness of God, what happened? You died. You died. Look at how Leviticus. Uh, this is a key part that I missed. Look at Leviticus. Uh, 15 ends. Um, yes, 31. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Look what he says. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separate from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by making my tabernacle among them unclean. You come in and try to make, uh, you, you try to come in unclean, you desecrate the tabernacle. You make the tabernacle unclean, God's presence, and therefore you die. Mm. Jesus, what are you doing? She comes into the Holy of Holies, mm -hmm. touches, touches him, he become, and she becomes clean. He brings life. 